I'm Jeff. I'm Jeff Biggers. I'm one of our pastors here, and I'm very excited to bring a message to you today from God's Word. Actually, I may have already had my reward this morning. Uh, Rayleigh's given me a chance to teach in the little kids' ministries from time to time. I love to be in there. And Pascaline comes up to me this morning, you know, and she comes up to me. Are you, what are you doing? What's this, this microphone? How's that work? And are you teaching a class? I said, yeah, I am. What is it on? On how to keep your eyes on God. Oh, I want to be in your class today. And like, okay, well, that's done. I'm ready to go. Um, Really exciting. Uh, Let's just pray before we open God's Word. God, I don't want to miss you this morning. I don't want to miss what you have to say. I don't want anyone in this room to miss what you are saying to us. Because I know when you speak, when we open your word, things happen, things change. As we just sang, we're amazed by you. I ask that you would amaze us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you come and speak to us? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, you've seen Rob come up here and hold the Wall Street Journal and talk about an article or something like that. Well, remember? You're supposed to shake your head, yes? Okay. Well, I use ESPN articles and sports articles, so. But you know, in sports, you know, it takes good eye hand coordination to play most of the sports that we, we know and interact with. Uh, golf, for example. If you don't watch the ball, guess what? Whiff. And football. And basketball. Whether it's throwing, catching, hitting, receiving, whatever it might be, it takes that eye-hand coordination to be able to pull it off and do it well. Matter of fact, it's something we'll say when somebody can play a sport well, many times we'll say they have great eye-hand coordination, don't, don't we? And Having coached some and played a lot of sport, I can tell you it is a a mantra of most coaches throughout the course of their time uh, with their team, keep your eye on the ball. Just keep your eye on the ball. I remember when my oldest daughter, Mary Beth, was three years old. And that's been a few years ago. And I had bought her, she was my first child, and and I, i bought her this little plastic baseball wiffle bat, ball bat and ball, and she's running around the backyard, and I had to take her out because inside it was a dangerous weapon of lamps and fixtures and things like that, but outside she's running around swinging this bat around, and the ball was there, and she had no interest in it, and I said, Mary Beth, just wait just a second, and I just kind of lobbed it off at her, not thinking much, and she clubbed the thing over my head. I mean, she's a little gal, three years old, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I said, okay, now you need to stand right here. I put something down as a base. I said, you need to stand right there. I I thought maybe it was just a fluke. I did it, and she hit it again. It just kept clubbing the ball. I thought, oh, this is good. And it turned into, for her, she loved playing baseball. Every day I'd get home from work, and she's running out with her bat and ball. She wanted to play, and she ended up becoming a very good uh, baseball player. You say, wait a minute. You said Mary Beth. I said, yeah, Mary Beth. Up and through fourth grade, she played baseball on the boys' team. She made the boys' team. She pitched a starting pitcher on the boys' team. 
She played shortstop on the boys' team. She was the leading hitter of the boys' team. And she hit more home runs than any boys on the boys' team. And in fifth grade, they wouldn't let her play on the boys' team. Well, I was one irate dad, but nonetheless, she was a great baseball player and played softball and played very, very well. She had great and does have great eye-hand coordination. So that's important, the different sports we play. Well, let me ask you a question. It's more than just in sports, right? I mean, to keep our eye on the ball is, is a statement we'll say many times for people, it's in their job or what they're doing. To, to your kids, maybe, when it's time to clean up the room, would you just keep your eye on the ball and, and finish what you started, whether it's your homework or whatever it might be? Do you know how to keep your eye on the ball? Do you know how to keep your eye on the ball? That's really the, my thought from today, both on the field and, most importantly, off the field. As I was reading an article um, from ESPN recently, I was uh, brought to attention a pitcher. His name is Dan, Daniel Norris. Matter of fact, I think, yeah, got some pictures of him there. That, that's him. In 2011, he was recruited out of high school. He was a three-sport uh, star. He was recruited out of high school to play baseball. And uh, he had a 92, a consistent 92-mile-per-hour fastball. And he could get it up and wind it up to 96 miles per hour. Already out of high school, he was throwing a great slider. And he can throw a 12-6 curveball. The ones come from upstairs down, and he can throw it with heat. And he's recruited out of high school, and he forecloses uh, on a scholarship, a full scholarship to Clemson University in South Carolina, and accepts a $2 million signing bonus to play for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he goes into their farm club. And I, I got to reading the article, and I thought, okay, that's like many, many young guys, right? Those kind, well, not many. didn't happen to me. But <laughs> I didn't get $2 out of high school. But um, I started reading more about him and, and, and looking at his life. And, and his parents and his grandparents and owned a bicycle shop in Johnson City, Tennessee, Tennessee where he's from. And they, their kind of family living style was you live with what you got, and they didn't watch a lot of movies and go out and do a lot of activities except to go out and go biking together and go camping and go hiking and those kinds of things, living with what they had, what they do, and, and attending their church, uh, the Central Church of Christ there in, in um, Johnson City. And Daniel came to know Christ, and he asked the pastor when it was time to be baptized, and he was baptized in his baseball uniform. He said he knew he was meant to be a baseball player. And pastor said, sure enough, and he was baptized in his baseball uniform. He says he's never taken drugs, never drank, and keeps focused on what his goal was, and that's to play baseball. Well, here he was at 18 years old, and he got a $2 million signing bonus. Anybody in our youth group interested in a $2 million signing bonus? Yeah, yeah, their hands are going up. <laughs> Anybody in the congregation interested in a $2 million signing bonus? He got a $2 million signing bonus. And when asked about it, how he felt about it, he said, I prayed, God, please don't let the money change me. I was just 18, and I hadn't seen a lot of the world. But what I'd seen 
money does to people and what it can do to people, it made me, and it, what it makes them into something that they're not. And I just knew I couldn't let that happen to me. So he, he took a little bit of the money and he helped his church and he helped his parents and he helped a traveling baseball club that he'd been playing with. And the rest of it, for the most part, he entrusted into a, with a financial advisor and he gets $800 a month to live on. Because with the rest, with a little bit of the money, he bought a 1978 Volkswagen camper van. You guys might have seen these. He drives down to the first spring training and with the rest of the rookies and their $2 million check clears. And he tells how all of them loaded up in a van and they went down to the local mall. And on the average, the average guy, and you can imagine this, get you know different kind of values of signing bonuses, they spent over $10,000 each on electronics, computers, music, clothes, jewelry, etc. He bought a t-shirt that he still wears. And I'm reading this, I'm becoming more and more interested in this guy. He's been in the minor league program for the last couple of years, and last year he led the minor leagues in strikeout average, strikeout average per nine innings. And he's now considered in the top 18 prospects to move up to the major leagues. At the end of last season, Toronto brought him up for five games, and he pitched five games. And right now at spring training, in that van that he lives in in the offseason, he's decided he lives in that during spring training too, and it's parked behind a Walmart dumpster in Florida during spring training. All the other teammates are in their condos, apartments, and different kinds of places. He's in his van. He says he needs to keep focused on what he's going to do. That when you're on the mound, when you're up there, you're all alone. And he, knew, he wants to stay focused on what his values on what he believes in. He said he doesn't want to start being distracted because he knows once the season starts, he's got to live like the rest of them do. But he wants to make that starting lineup. He's got a lot of media attention, can you imagine? I couldn't help but cheat last night, and I went online and said, I wonder how he pitched yesterday. And he was outstanding. And they said, it looks like he's a lock to make that fifth starting position for Toronto. And I hope he does. The ESPN writer closed the article and he said this. I wonder, will he really continue to live in a van? They've nicknamed him the man in the van. Will he really continue to live in a van if his $2 million bonus becomes a $50 million contract? Will he still have a thought journal? He writes in it every evening. He reads uh, hardcover books, doesn't like the Kindle. Reads photography journals. Can you believe that? Takes pictures as he's moving around. Will he still do that when, once he becomes a baseball star? How can even the most ardent nonconformist survive the pressures of mainstream fame, corporate sponsorship, and the tradition of the game of baseball? And Norris had an answer for him. He said this. Well, what I'll do if baseball goes well is I'll become even more of an ambassador for the things I really care about. I think Daniel Norris, at 21 years old, that man in the van, understands what it is to keep your eye on the ball, on the field and off the field. And today, as we turn into God's Word, I want to see what it says to us about keeping our eye on the ball. Matter of fact, I found that to be the central theme of our message. How to keep your eyes on God in everything you do. Now, Rob's been 
leading us through the book of James these past month or couple of months with an admonition to, be, to being wise. Being wise when triumphing over trouble and being fair and doing good. Being wise and controlling our tongues. Some of us are still listening to that message a few times. And, and, and asking God how to replace criticism like last week for hospitality. Remember what a great sermon that was? As I prepared to preach the sermon and kind of stepping in like this now in late chapter 4, I said, I've got to reread James again. I just got to sit down and read it, you know, and, and walk through it. And as I did, I felt like James was speaking to me. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And I imagine, you know, James, they say is the half-brother of Jesus, Mary's son. I thought, well, he's, he's Joseph's son. I wonder if his character traits come out a little bit like dad, you know, that kind of stand out. And what Joseph might have been like. But whatever it is, there's something that comes through it. And I'd like to do a little exercise with you if you'd bear with me this morning. I just want to make this message work. Would you listen to just a few select verses out of chapter 1, 2, and 3 and just see if you hear the same theme I'm hearing from James? Matter of fact, let's practice this. Could you just close your eyes just for a minute? Close your eyes just for a minute and let me read. Let me read just a few select passages out of chapter 1, 2, and 3 from James. He says in chapter 1, Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They're unstable in everything they do. And don't say that God tempts me. God never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Later, he says, don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father. Later, he says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts. It has the power to save your soul. And he says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And two, he said, whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. For faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. In chapter three, if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect and control ourselves in every way. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it. By living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're jealous, bitterly jealous, and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth, boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. For what, wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there's disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above, from God, is first of all pure, peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield to others, full of mercy, full of the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And in chapter 4, we've read, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Don't let your loyalty be divided between God and the world. I don't know about you, 
But as I read those passages and that theme, that it's like there's a thread. As James was speaking, I, I felt like it was a father or a mentor speaking to me. Just stay on track. That coach, just keep your eye on the ball. I just stay on track. And as he walked through it, as he walked through the book of James, I just felt like he was speaking to us. And, and maybe you remember times in your, in your life that you're like, I'm not sure I'm on track or, or not. And you just felt like, God, just get on track. And maybe God brought somebody away, just keep your eyes on the ball now. Don't, don't become disloyal to God. Don't have a divided loyalty in watching the world and watching God. And the question might be, why should I keep my eye on God? I mean, that's what it boils down to, right? Well, why should I keep my eye on God? Look what's around me. Isn't that pretty good? I'm going to live in this moment. And it seems James' admonition, it's not just a concept. It's not just being part of a team or, or part of some kind of organization. There's a God of the universe that created us, and Jesus' Son came, and He wants to have a personal relationship with us because it ends in this life. Or does it? There's life that goes beyond. Did you hear the loyalty that was in there? The loyalty towards God? Well, let's read today's passage that we're going to teach from. James chapter 4. Take your Bibles if you, if you can. Got it on the screen as well. James chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to what James says now. Look here. You who say today or tomorrow... We're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. In New England we say it's, it's like the snow. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise you're boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil remember it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it well first off looking back at verse 13 when he says you know this admonition today or tomorrow if you're going to a certain town you'll stay there a year and do business make a profit here's something I think it's not saying I've got four points I believe that he's not saying in this First off, I think he's not saying that making plans for the future is a sin. Why else do we plant crops, build shelters, learn life skills, have children? The most basic building blocks of life, right? Translate into our modern world, it's making a grocery list and going shopping. Educating ourselves to, to have a job and employment and work. Um, is is planning for the future bad? No, not at all. I don't think it's saying that. The second point, I don't think he's saying that planning to be successful is arrogant or wrong. Who would plant a crop, build a home, go to their job, be educated, and not plan to succeed? How would we not plan that the crop will actually grow something, that our home would actually protect us and shelter us? I mean, planning succeeds not what it, you know, that, that's, that's not an error. He's not saying that. I think he's also not saying that moving and relocating is wrong. Uh, 
I'm waiting for kind of a, well, at least I got it out of Rayleigh. I was on Facebook recently, and I saw this map, and somebody was circulating it around. It says, oh, look, somebody's gone in and, and found a way that you can make the best use of a, a trip around the United States. If you follow this uh, GPS, follow this map around, and it'll be the best way to see the most places around the U.S. And I started looking at it and thinking about Aurelia and our lives, and in the next slide, I started. I put in all the places that we've relocated to, not just visit. I mean, we've lived in these places. I think we've just about got it. She goes, we've not been in the Northeast, I mean, in the Northwest. And I, I said, do you want to? She said, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but I don't think of this passage he's saying that relocation and moving's wrong. I mean, God clearly called Abraham, Abram to move. He asked Joseph and Mary with, with a young young infant, a young child, to go to Egypt for a while. And they relocated there and back. He asked David to relocate to Jerusalem and take on his new job as the king. So I don't think he's saying relocation's wrong and moving. And the last thing, I don't think he's saying that organizing and planning and goal setting are ungodly. And many people, if you get too strict in this, like I'm just going to go on whatever God shows me in the grocery store, I'll buy that today. You know, and whatever, you know, it's whatever we're going to have, it's be whatever God provides. And some of you are laughing because that's the way you go grocery shopping, but not on purpose. But he's not saying that organizing and planning and goal setting to succeed are wrong. How would we be able to establish and execute anything, the how, the when, the why, or where, or what we're going to do unless we organize ourselves and plan to do it and to do it well? God's gift is that way. And it's important to draw that out because there's some conclusions that you can make out of this passage as if, oh, well, I'm supposed to kind of sit back and just wait on God to lead me and direct me. In the meantime, I think I'll get active and do something else. But the bottom line is, is if it goes right back to Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over creation. Well, you know, as far as I can see, that takes organizing, planning, goal setting, activities, and maybe even a relocation or two along the way if we're going to succeed. So what does this passage say to us today? I think there's five points. And if you have your bulletin insert, we'll see if we can walk through these. First off, I believe it's important that we always keep God in focus. Not just in sight or in the rearview mirror. Like, if I can keep him, you know, on the same highway I'm on, that's cool. No, I think we're supposed to keep him in focus and in front of us. Aureli tells a story, and, 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 and I'll share that with you. Um, she talked about when she was early in, in her Christian walk as, a, as an adult, and she felt like she had God in the trunk all the time. Whenever she needed him, like, oh, I've got a flat here in my life, she'd go to the trunk and pull him out. Something like that in your story. And that's not what it's saying. What he's saying is we need to keep God up front and in focus on our lives. He is the ball to watch. And you're saying, well, okay, I'm still not there about why. The why. Let's go on. The next point is there are distractions. And distractions in this life cause us to take our eyes off God. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to say there's distractions in our life, right? And when I first wrote this out and was thinking about it, I said distractions can cause, I thought, oh, wait, wait a minute. 
they can't just can cause. It's like I'm kind of above them. You know, for, for you guys, they could cause, but for me, they can cause. Like, no, distractions cause, right? Cause us to take our eyes off God. That, that's the ongoing thing that we, they do, that we deal with, that something comes up and it gets in the way. Things that are good, that God's given us to organize, to plan, to succeed, and to do, but we've become so engulfed in them so lost in them that they become the distraction from the main purpose, the, the main thing, the main person that we're supposed to interact with in this life. If there is a God who's a creator of all things and He honestly really loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, He wants us to do it with joy. He wants us to have a joy with Him and a presence with Him every moment of every day. Can you imagine just... Fast forward would be like if you could set all the distractions aside and maybe you've had those experiences where you felt like it was just you and God alone for a moment and you've seen God do something, you experienced God, you go, I know that was God. Anybody who's been around me very much know that I always ask and where's a God story from the week? Because I want to know, I want us to hear, I want us to constantly tell ourselves having an ongoing relationship with God is a sense of fulfillment that is beyond any measure that this world can bring. What's the why? Because there's a God in the universe who created us, who loves us, who places us here to succeed and, and move forward and do good, and He wants to have a relationship with us. And He's made that possible. But distractions in this world, the distractions that are part of what we do and how we live, those things that are in the world become a great distraction for us. Not can, but can't are. John wrote this, one of the other disciples. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and a boastful pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from this world. And this world's fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases will live forever. Guys, I don't want people just to play well in the game. I want you to finish the game. God wants us to finish this game with Him. And if I hear James speaking to me out of this word, Almost like a father or a mentor is like, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. You know, stay in the game. The third point, he says, in this passage, an interesting kind of side set to put everything in perspective. How do you know, verse 14, what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life's like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Isn't that true? I mean, we look back, and, and I, I look on my life right now, and I look back, and I remember that story about Mary Beth like it just happened yesterday. And I know she's going to listen to this, and it was 30 years ago. 30. Rayleigh revived me off the floor as I was in preparing this message I was thinking about. I mean, the time goes by really fast. Most of the kids in the youth group, if you've been around, and I'm around them all the time, I think they're the greatest youth group in New England. I really do. And I'm around these guys, and I, I know a lot of some of the faces I've seen 
you know, eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, when they were just little kids in there. And now they're out here and they're doing things. A, a lot of them are with uh, spending time this weekend helping the fourth and fifth graders on a camping trip. Not because they're going out to go camp, because they want to be out there and they're doing that. Like, wow. Our days are numbered. And each one matters. Each one. This brought a whole new perspective in me of why God said, oh, if every day matters, then on the seventh one, I want you to rest. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if every day matters, like, work it out. I mean, that, that's what your boss would say, right? Just work through the weekend. Just keep going. I mean, everything counts. We've got to get this done. I mean, well, think about it. If, if we're thinking like God from a worldly perspective, it'd be like, I want you to keep at it, and I don't want you to lift your eyes off that plow until everything's done on the last day, and boom, you fall over and you're gone. But God said, made it a ten, ten commandment. He said, I want you to rest on the Sabbath. I want you to rest every seventh day. What's that about? Well, one of the things I can see is sometimes these distractions can overwhelm us, and when you sit down and you take a day off and take a day and focus on the Lord, what are you doing? You're getting your, your eyes right back on the right ball, aren't you? You're, you're setting things straight again, realigning again, because we can start creeping just a little bit. You ever been driving down the highway and you got the cruise control on and you're just kind of sitting there and it's going and going and going and going and you realize that you're and you, oh, you're just off the side of the road just a little bit? You're just kind of drifting a little bit? Okay, I'm the only one that did that. But <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you just kind of get, get into this and you're kind of drifting a little bit. Life's like that some way. We can sometimes be on cruise control. We're going, we're fighting through life and we get off track and we say, this is fine. I'm on this track and I'm just going to get through it and make it work. We need a seventh day right now and then to set us apart and say, no, I, I think I need to get my eyes set back on God. Not being the only day that we should do that, but sometimes we need a hard reset. Some of you need to control-alt-delete and reboot. The fourth point is this. Self-centered living promotes us. Not God. What you ought to say, verse 15, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. I was reading this in uh, one of my Spanish versions of the Bible, and in English, in most translations that use this, you are boasting about your plans, and all such is boasting is evil. And it used a phrase that is, it's flaunting. The first part of it's flaunting. Otherwise, you're flaunting about your own plans. And that's what happens, isn't it? When we, when we set things in motion and we're going, I'm going to go this way and this is what I'm going to do, and you start telling everybody about it, you can't wait. It's the first discussion that comes up. Whatever they say, how are you doing? Oh, let me tell you about this. And if they start telling you about something, you somehow are able to you know, convert the conversation and tell them what you want to tell. You're like, let me tell you about this. He said, making your plans on your own promotes you. It doesn't promote God. You're, who are you drawing attention to? And James, like a father, seems to be bringing me back in. Bringing me back in. Is God in the middle of this? Is God not just in the middle of this? Is God leading this? Is God the power supply to make this happen? Or is it me and all my efforts? Because guess what? You may be super gifted and super talented. You may be super intelligent with great personality and able to do a lot of things. 
But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, without God in it, without God in it, you'll not get the full potential that you can. You'll not get the full potential that you can without God. And you'll fall short. And you'll run out. And you might not get you might gas out and not make the ninth inning. The last point is this. In verse 17, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Have you done what God's asked you to do? I personally, as I read this, I thought, this seems kind of out of track. He's telling us about those of you that make plans to do things, but God's not in it. You know, you know, you need to put God in it, let God lead you in this. And, and, then, it, and then I came into this verse, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. And he's talking about making your own plans. And I look back and I think so many times in our lives, we say, God, would you please do this? Would you please let this happen? Would you please move this along? And I wonder, I wonder how many times God's saying, oh, yeah, I'll get to that just as soon as you go ahead and do what I've asked you to do already. I'll, I'll take care of that little health issue, God, as soon as you do this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that job or that career or that relationship as soon as you do these things that I've already asked you to do. Life's not meant to be as hard as we make it. But when you follow distractions, when you get off the road, I tell you what, driving 65 miles per hour down Mass Pike, without any traffic, Mass Pike, is a lot easier on cruise control when you stay on the highway than trying to do it in the median off to the side or in the middle. You're going the same direction. You're going the same speed. But it's abusive. On your vehicle, on you, and ultimately, things are going to break down. And we wonder, I was going the way I was supposed to be going. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Were you? Were you really on the right path? Have you done what God's asked you to do? I ask the worship team to come up and we're going to conclude. Because today I want us to know how to keep our eyes on God. I think that's what James is telling us. Much like Daniel Norris, 21 year old who's teaching me what it is to set your priorities right and keep them right. I think all of us sometimes need that call out, and James doing that. We want to finish the game and finish it well. And I tell you what, if you're wondering about being in the game with God, it's worth it, because that's where you'll get all out of it, everything. The creator of the universe who made you and knows you wants to do that through you, and he made it possible this way. We couldn't get back on the mass bike on our own. We couldn't get there back on our, on our own. And so he sent someone who could help us to get there. And that's Jesus. There was a penalty to get back on the road of life. Get back in the game. And there was only one person who could take that. And make that red card go away. Get you out of timeout. Get you off the place that would lead you to a relationship away from God for eternity. eternity. And that's Jesus. His only son. And it's so simple. Jesus went to the cross. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be focused and pointed towards the cross. 
but past the cross to a grave that's empty. Because when Jesus went to the cross and He took our punishment for us so that we could be on that track of life with God, the grave couldn't even hold Him. The grave couldn't even hold Him. And He's resurrected. And today, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And you know what He's saying to us? Keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on God. Before they lead us in the last song, uh, Helen, the team this morning got together and were praying and had some words and pictures. And I don't know if there's anything, Helen, that you can share with us this morning. This morning, uh, God really opened up the floodgates. So I've prayed and I'm trusting that what I'm sharing, the little smidge of what he gave us this morning that I'm sharing is what he wants me to share. Um, First of all, it's a new season was the theme. It's a new season. Not just is spring coming, but there's a new season. God's doing a new thing. But we had this picture that maybe some, one of you or many of you, might feel like you're stuck and you need to hear God's voice say, this is my path, walk in it. And that's what we believe God is inviting us to this morning. If you feel stuck, like you don't know what season it is, like you're waiting on God to give you what you need to move forward, please come forward for prayer. If you need healing or you have something else you need prayer for, the team will be up front here. Please come forward and get prayer. God wants to meet with us and meet our needs and give us what we need to move forward. Thank you, Helen. As they dim the lights and as we hear this last song, of our prayer team would come up and if you feel like you'd like prayer this morning, come on forward. Thank you. God is faithful and he loves you. He cares for you and he wants you to finish that game. He wants you to play and get all of it out of it that you can. And Jesus desires to have that relationship with you. If you feel like this morning that maybe you need a reset, uh, you need a prayer about distractions in your life or how to move forward, would you come? Heavenly Father, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for interacting with us and and, and ministering to us through your word. And as we dismiss right now, I pray that we would go with you and keep you out front and in focus in our lives. Amen. You're welcome to come forward for prayer. Um, And as we dismiss, uh, we have coffee outside and, and enjoy fellowship with one another. Thank you.